Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Round Hill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. So today we are continuing our conversation on the book of the Steps to a Compassionate Life. Are there 12? There are 12. There are 12. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the book in front of me. At Forgive least. me. <laughs> At least so many, so many, so many steps. So we were sort of talking about how the book got started last week, how we start from a place of humility to learn. And you were telling me how the first chapter is titled wish for a better world. Mm. I have to say, I have to say the, the wish caught me off guard a little bit. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, you know, I read so many uh, books about, you know, where theologians or religious writers are thinking about the future. Uh, the word dream gets used quite a bit, but I can't remember the last time anybody used the word wish. Yeah. It's almost like that word has kind of floated off, you know, and we don't don't hear it much. Maybe don't use it anymore. But I really, I really, I really love the word. And we still barely have access to it. You know, when someone says make a wish. You're right. So the one the one thing, Leslie, about this that I thought was especially interesting in this book is that here she's writing this book on 12 steps to a compassionate life, which sounds very methodical. Yes. She's deliberately connecting it with a lot of the language, of course, for Alcoholics Anonymous and many other you know, recovery groups obviously use that language. And so she's bringing that into her study on compassion. But she doesn't start off right away with just an introduction. She talks about a wish for a better world. And so she imagines what the world could be like if it wasn't polarized, Mm -hmm. uh, if we weren't so quick to issue judgments for one another or not so quick to issue judgments about ourselves. Right. So really letting this this energy of compassion seep into every corner of the universe. And I love the fact that she starts off with this great big dream, a wish for a better world. And I I think in some ways it can be overwhelming, right? Because Mm -hmm. so often people think, oh my gosh, how can I even think about a vision for the world? You know, I'm just trying to navigate the week. Thank you very much, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. But maybe it could be said that if there's ever a time when we need a wish for a better world, this would be it. And, uh, you know, what would what would it be like to wish for a better world, for example, where everyone had the most astonishingly easy access to health care so that, you know, God forbid, should a pandemic or something serious arise, that we at least would have that assurance of knowing that we could get easy access and care. So that's where she starts off the book. And I thought that was a real genius move. Yeah, that's really interesting, because I think at first, you know, it conjures up, I'm picturing you know, Robin Williams as the genie and we're wishing upon a land lamp. And then, you know, the more you were talking about it, the more I hear language of, you know, people talk about how they, they put stuff out into the world to, to manifest is a big, a big, big word I've been hearing a lot of, uh, to manifest what they want. They put it out into the world, uh, whether it's dreams for their career or dreams for their family wishes, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, you have to start somewhere. That's right. Um, And so having that clear picture of where you want to go definitely helps you navigate how to get there. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, Karen Armstrong was invited to deliver a TED Talk and TED Talks have become so popular. Now there are 
venues for them all over the world. You know, this, yeah. this great opportunity for people to bring the best of their ideas to the public. I think it's such a great idea. So yeah. she gave a, a TED talk and, and that organization, um, which I think stands for technology, education, and design or something like entertainment that. and design. Yeah. Entertainment and design. They, um, they awarded her a grant. Wow. $100,000. And interestingly enough, she knew immediately what she wanted to do with it, which I also thought was interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, because so often, you know, in like just general informal conversations with people sometimes to say, so, you know, if you had a certain amount of money, what would you do? And a lot of times people are stumped, like, I don't know. Gosh, I'd have to think about it. Not Karen Armstrong. She knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to start an international organization dedicated to the development of the idea and practice of compassion. So um, I would recommend that people visit her website, Charter for Compassion. I believe it's charterforcompassion.org. And it's brought together all these fantastic religious leaders from so many different traditions, all working together to bring this energy of compassion into the world. So I thought that was really, in, in, in a sense, her wish came true. Her personal wish came true. And I thought that was really fun and challenging for us to think about, you know, what would we do? If we were suddenly presented with an opportunity like that, would we know right off the bat what we would do? I'm thinking too about, you know, I've I've loved TED Talks for a long time. I actually was listening to their podcast Mm. yesterday when I was doing some some chores around the house. And uh, I wonder if when they started this, Mm -hmm. you know, because I know the original vision was to bring together these sort of three, uh, what were then very separate yeah. focuses and bring them all into the same room. So the idea was that people from different, you know, different walks of life, different education, different talents and creative gifts could solve big problems. Right. Um, and so I'm really interested if maybe if their original wish and their original vision was to start mm. then having grants and like how that all came to be. Cause it's been, you know, I mean, to me, Ted talk is like, it's the, it's amazing. I mean, that's how you hear of anybody kind of worth hearing about. It feels yeah. like now, and it feels like they just bring so much, you know, value into mm-hmm. the world that you and I were talking about social media and adding value to the conversation a minute ago before we yep. started recording. Um, and to me, I feel like they just add, always add such interesting value and, and perspective. And it's so huge shout out to them, to them today. Huge podcast, to podcast. Yeah, um, they're a great support of Karen Armstrong, who suddenly, you know, had the wherewithal to write this book and develop her ideas. What a fantastic investment. So exciting. So then the book goes on and it talks about compassion for the self, mm-hmm. which feels like it could be probably an entire book unto itself. Indeed. Indeed. Um, my initial assumptions, I think about the language we use when we talk to ourselves, which is um, not always kind. Yes. Um, <laughs> I heard someone say, talk to, talk to yourself uh, as if you're speaking to someone you love. You know, yeah. we can so easily be very hard on ourselves. And at the same time, there's so much, uh, I don't have a good word for this, so I'm going to use a very bad word for this. There's a lot of indulgence, I think, with, with the self in today's right. society. There's a lot of focus on the individual instead of the community. Sometimes it feels like these are my opinions, by the way. <laughs> You're doing fine. Okay, great. Thank you. So yeah. then how does she approach compassion for ourselves? 
Yeah, I think for the reasons you mentioned, it's a tricky subject because it could it could be heard as I need to to lavish more attention on myself. Mm -hmm. I need to be more focused on myself to the potential exclusion of others. Now, what saves her from going down that path, of course, is that she's focused her entire book on the golden rule, mm -hmm. which is do unto others as you would like to have them do unto you. I've always felt that the potential weakness of that saying is that if we really don't know how we need to be loved mm -hmm. and cared for, it may be difficult for us to respect how others need to be loved and cared for. So the reason it's a very good idea to bring up this whole notion of compassion for self, she she's adamant about the fact that in order to love others, you have to start with self-knowledge. What is it that you feel that you need in order to be loved, which then puts you in a frame of mind to imagine how others might answer that question for themselves. And then that gives us a clearer idea about how to reach out. Uh, there were two things that she says in this chapter that I think were really helpful to me. She says, it is not easy to love ourselves. She starts from that premise, which I think goes back to your comment. Mm -hmm. It's easier to pay attention to ourselves, right? We live in a selfie culture, right? Yeah. So we're kind of looking for that and that can lead to an extravagant indulgence. Um, so we have to recognize that we may not know what this means and we have to find our way towards it. You know, we have to take our time and sort of think about what are the things that we like that make us feel loved, mm -hmm. not just, you know, the focus of somebody else's attention, which may not be as helpful. And, um, and then she actually offers an exercise. She says, make a list of your good qualities, talents, achievements, those things that bring more value, greater goodness into the world. Because when you do that, now you're starting to over, you're bypassing that other voice that you mentioned that may not be quite so helpful, that often called the inner critic, right? Yes. <laughs> As writers call it, be like, what is that inner editor telling me all the time? You can't write, you can't do this, you know, go shopping, go, go to the grocery store, get out of here. Um, so one, one little story about this that she told that I thought was very moving. She knew a man whose name was Albert Friedlander, who was a Jewish rabbi. And he grew up during the Nazi years, pre-war pre Germany. And uh, of course, extraordinarily difficult time for a Jewish person to be living in the culture at that time. And um, as he was, he was eight years old and he was hearing all of these horrible messages being delivered from political leaders and others about Jews. He had the wherewithal at eight years old, I think this is incredible, to go home at night, he took out a little journal and he wrote a list of all of his fine qualities. Mm. So I thought, what a great act of self-love. This man eventually had a horrific experience during the war, but he survived it. And, and Karen Armstrong uh, identifies him or describes him as one of the gentlest, most loving persons she ever met. And she indicates it's because he knew exactly how to love himself first. Mm -hmm. And then reach, then was able to reach out to others in, in that way. So I thought that was just such a great story. That's an amazing story, especially yeah. through, you know, through those super difficult times to find love and then love for yourself is, that seems really, really difficult. So then how do we take that compassion and that love? Because I feel like love and compassion are kind of, 
I mean, they're intertwined, of course, if they're not even sometimes feel like the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do we carry that forward to others then? I guess one, and, and you're right about your comment about the book, Leslie, you know, you could have a whole book out of every chapter, right? In, <laughs> yeah. in this book. Um, but I think one way to think about this question that you've asked is that compassion is a practice. She actually describes it as such. And um, so it's interesting because in the New Testament, occasionally, um, Paul, who was the author of many of the letters of the New Testament when he was when the early church was forming, he wrote these letters to support and strengthen them. And he used a letter that was equated with physical exercise to describe love. So it was as if he was saying to them, as you train for this kind of athletic event, this is how you have to train for love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why she suggests, you know, one way to show compassion for yourself is to actually make a list of those qualities. Do it every day for 30 days until it finally starts to sink in. She suggests doing the same thing for other people. And she has a really interesting exercise where she says, so think about three people you know, one of whom you know, all of whom you know, let's say fairly well. Um, one of whom, with whom you have a great relationship right now, one with whom you have a kind of a neutral relationship, and one in which it's just not going very well. And she said, suspend all of the judgments and see if you can look at each of those persons and define the qual- some quality about them which you can elevate or affirm. Is there something? Because she said that begins to establish a path towards uh, loving or showing compassion to other people. So that's how you extend it from yourself to others. And uh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful exercise. It just makes us more mindful of those we know and not, it's another way of not taking people for granted. Yeah, I love that idea of a a really simple practice to start you on your way. Yes. That's really nice. Well, and to segue, that yes. was a nice segue into a practice that we're going to do here at Roundhill Radio, uh, which is we're going to have a mini book club um, and we invite you all to join us. So a little scheduling PSA is that next week we're going to take the week off. I'm on spring break. So oh, yeah. I'll see you in a minute. In a minute. Um, <laughs> and we are going to then come back and have a conversation about the book we're reading together. Uh, called Jesus and the Disinherited. We mentioned it a little bit yesterday, um, excuse me, last week uh, by Howard Thurman. Do you want to tell us, uh, our audience, a little bit more about that today? Yeah, uh, Howard Thurman was um, uh, just a marvelous preacher and scholar, um, great member of the, you know, participant and leader in the African-American church during the early part of the 20th century, tremendously influential, not only for Martin Luther King Jr., but for many other black scholars and theologians, and uh, just a very gentle presence. And he wrote this book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And one of the things I really love that he said about this, he wanted to write a book to help everyone think about what faith means to those who have their backs against the wall. That was how he used the phrase. So uh, he, his emphasis was really on how Jesus was such a powerful presence in the lives of people who had nowhere else to turn, mm-hmm. uh, who were in many cases desperate, didn't have any kind of social 
net, you know, or protective structure. And these were the people Jesus was very, very attuned to in his life. So that's why he wrote the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting book to read. And it's going through a bit of a revival now. So as there are more and more people talking about and speaking out about racial justice in our country and having more and more conversations about that, Howard Thurman's little book, Jesus and the Disinherited, is really coming to the forefront again. So uh, I think that's I think that's good news. I think it'll be a lot of fun to uh, to read it together and see what people think about it. Absolutely. So we encourage you to give it a read. In my case, I'm going to give it a listen because I have some audio, audible credits I need to use. So I'm looking <laughs> uh-huh. forward to that. Uh, and uh, come back here. We'll meet you back here on March 31st to chat about the book. Obviously, you don't have to read the book to join us in conversation, but uh, I know that will make the experience even that much richer. So we encourage you to do that. And uh, we'll see you back here on March 31st. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.